welcome. I'm Lauren Rosen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Purely OCD. Kelly and I are OCD specialists who happen to also be in recovery from OCD ourselves. Each week we meet to talk about all things OCD, one topic at a time. You may notice we try to bring a little levity and humor to our discussion around this deeply painful disorder, as this has been a very powerful tool for our own recovery as well as our clients. If you'd care to join us, we record live on Mondays at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube. We generally answer a few questions from our live viewers related to whatever topic we're covering that week. And if there's a topic you'd like covered, you can also submit a request on our website, purelyocd.com. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD. Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. This week on Purely OCD, we are going to be continuing our discussion on relationship OCD, and we're going to be sort of finishing up with a discussion on exposure and response prevention within this subtype. So we've been talking about obsessions and compulsions to sort of gear us up for this dialogue. And uh, yeah, so... um, I guess maybe a good starting point if somebody's in your office and obviously it's going to depend on how relationship OCD is presenting, right? And as we've talked about in the obsessions episode, it can present in so many different ways. But if somebody comes in and their main concern, if we keep it broad enough, is like, what if I end up with the wrong person? Right. Like what if, what if this person that I am currently in a relationship is the wrong person for me? Where, where do you typically start with somebody? Um, well, usually we would start with just acknowledging, and I think we've talked about this in the, the, um, the last episode, Mm -hmm. but really honing in and really just really hammering it in that we, there's no certainty in any of this, right. That we, there's no right, there's no right partner. So essentially you will marry the wrong person. Person. Right. (laughs) Um, So making sure they have a very good grasp on that before we kind of dive into exposures, I guess that itself, I guess, is the first exposure basically. Mm, That's such a good point. And that's where that article you know, that you're referencing, and I know we have to have spoken about it in one of the last two episodes, but um, why why you will marry or why you're going to marry the wrong person yeah. by Hélène de Baton uh, on the New York Times or in the New York Times um, is in and of itself a very, well, it's part exposure and, and also oddly grounding because yeah. you're, it's saying, hey, there is no certainty and you have to accept that. And so it kind of gears you up for, okay, like this is why I'm going to accept uncertainty. It doesn't make sense to do anything else. And yeah. uh, maybe makes the whole process of doing exposure, like it's clearer as to why. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
And then from there, I guess we go into like what triggers that person to have this feared thought come up of them not being the right person. And, you know, from that, the information we gather there, then building out the exposures. So it mm -hmm. might be they have this fear of, well, they're not the right person because when we argue, they don't say, I'm sorry. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was just pulling that out of. No, that was a good one. That's a good okay. one. Like, they don't, or they don't, they don't, say don't it apologize enough. or they, yeah, like they don't mm -hmm. say it right. We hear that a lot. Like it, they right, apologize. Their tone was not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They didn't really mean it. <laughs> Right. They weren't sincere enough in the way that they presented the apology. Um, but yeah, or, like where they don't apologize uh, in the, the, like the way that I want them to. That's a great example. Right. And so then that person might do compulsions where they're talking about it to other people, asking for reassurance, just to kind of give reference from last episode. They might also be asking the partner excessively, like, I need you to say you're sorry. Yep. Like and, I need and, you to, and no, I need you to tweak that word. That this is word. still not good enough. Yeah. Um, they might actually go to couples therapy too mm. as a compulsion to kind of get them to be the right partner, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the first exposure might be removing all of the reassurance that we're getting from others. Or, you know, if they're asking their friend, does your partner do this? It's like, yeah, we're going to limit that or remove it entirely. Yeah. Um, but also validating the person, Hey, of course you want your partner to say they're sorry. And they're not always going to be the perfect partner. The yes. End. Right. Well, and that's the difference. I, I think that this is where assurance or just normalizing yeah. versus reassurance is so important is saying, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's completely reasonable that you want your partner to, to yeah, acknowledge yeah. where they've, that, where their shortcomings are. Uh, and at what point does it become excessive that you're asking all these people, whether or not it's okay that they say sorry in this particular kind of way or, um, and, and this, I love that you brought this example because you can see so clearly how problematic that's going to be in relationship. Right. If yeah. you're constantly with your partner going like, you're not saying sorry, right. And they're trying. <laughs> That's <laughs> not good. Like I know that as a partner, if, so, if, if, you know, my husband did that to me all the time, I'd be like, well, shoot, I'm trying really hard. And like, that's going to put a strain on the relationship. Well, and sometimes we're not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, throwing it out there. Sometimes we're imperfect. And sometimes right now it's also with OCD, there's that rigidity of like, I need the sorry, I need it now. Yes. And maybe that person's in the heat of the the anger and they're not ready to say it. And that's half the problem is that the person's requesting that they do it now when they want it. And the sorry is coming off in genuine. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and so having the space to tolerate, okay, well, maybe they should be saying sorry now and they're not. Maybe right. that does mean something about my relationship allows for the space for there to be repair 
for there to for for all everyone involves emotions to like spike and then subside but if we don't if we're not willing to to drop all of the compulsive asking or the insistence that the sorry come in a certain package at a certain timeline um that that's i that's the response prevention ultimately right yeah that's That's it so there are exposures all the time when you're in a relationship, if, if you have this fear of like, maybe they're not the right person. Um, and, and really what we're looking at is that response prevention part and whether or not, you know, you're following up with a lot of compulsions, trying to make sure that they're the right person. Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe that wasn't the best example, I guess, that I gave for an active exposure, but. No, but I, I, I think it was a great example. And I think that's like more, a more complex one though. And I think mm. the, the reality is, is the relationship OCD has a caveat around, and I've said this before is like with every variation of those type of OCD, there are different caveats and with relationship OCD, Lauren had talked about it just a few minutes ago is like the assurance versus reassurance is like part of relationship OCD is that we're going to have to navigate that of course we want to sorry and allow for imperfection so a lot of it's kind of retraining and explaining to folks what does a healthy relationship look like mm. getting your needs met boundary right, stuff like that mm. um, not necessarily saying like is this OCD or not because that's not going to be helpful to you no but can I actually, this, this set, I, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent yeah, here. Tangent um, you know, I love a good tangent, but I, I think this is where social media can be a real problem. And I, I don't think it's specific to this subtype, but there is so much black and white information about relationships online. Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to become better informed about like, okay, well, what does a healthy relationship look like? And then you go to Instagram, which I love Instagram. It's great. It's lots of wonderful information. Oftentimes it's like, well, if your partner does this, that's a red flag and you're done. Right. Like it's very. Right. And OCD with- is so rigid too. So it's like, this is black, even more black and white. So there's no right. space for it one time to happen. Right. Exactly. And you you see this, I think, come up a lot with parenting stuff, Mm -hmm. with uh, sexual orientation stuff, right? Like that there are Mm -hmm. some very like, well, this is this and that is that. And so people are concerned because they're hearing these ideas echoed that, well, you should always, always state your boundary. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, if you you're just not the that, only person in the relationship. Yes. <laughs> right. It's not that black and white. We wish it was because it's much clearer and simpler when things are, are so straightforward or brains like that. Mm. But the reality is that it is much messier. And so allowing it. So it is funny because the, the exposure and response prevention here, so much of it is about allowing things to be nebulous, allowing for it, for the relationship to be a dance rather than like an instructional, like now you, right. Exactly. Like I'm imagining like a, a baking recipe. Okay. Like you put, you pour this much water in and then you add two eggs. It's not that it's cooking, right? It's, Oh, I'm going to add a little more salt here. I'm going to, not that you can, obviously you can have 
um, recipes when it's not baking, but like the, the sort of baking cooking sort of. Yeah. Baking is very, it's precise. Right. Um, because it's like a science it's it's, yeah like yeah there's gonna be chemical reactions and all of that versus with cooking you know there's a little bit more flexibility oh I like this analogy yeah thanks relationship OCD is more like cooking versus (laughs) baking exactly yeah you get me Uh but in terms of like the more active exposures which we can certainly do Mm mm-hmm sometimes a good, and we talk about this in a lot of different subtypes, but sometimes just a good starting place is looking at the words that trigger you, like commitment, or I just knew, or he's the one, or really, uh, when you know, you know, like these kinds of things tend to be, these phrases tend to be very triggering for people with relationship OCD. And so just having those on post-its, you know, or on your phone as an alarm that comes up every once in a while can be really triggering and gives you that opportunity to practice not engaging or, you know, dropping rumination, dropping the the reassurance seeking, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes with relationship OCD, there can be like this, not maybe not discuss, but like, um, oh, I don't want to kiss them. So that means they're not the right person for me. I'm not like feeling it or vibing, whatever the new language is around it. Vibing. Vibing. We're not vibing. Um, I'm so embarrassed. That's (laughs) the wrong way of how to use it. Um, (laughs) We're old. Right. But to then say, okay, well, the exposure is actually when you aren't vibing to give them a kiss. Yeah. Hold their hand. Lean into that. Yeah. Really uncomfortable feeling. That's Mm. That is what we're trying to go after here. Yep. And then stop trying to figure out what that feeling means. Always. <laughs> Just error. Abort. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but here's another, like, here's a sort of trickier question. I could do it. You know, I love a good tricky question. Mm-hmm. Um, is wh- what about when, when there's, because this comes up a lot, I think, with the, with, with sex. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad we're going there. Cause that's yep. where I was kind of leaning towards. Cause I, it's a big topic. Yeah. I picked, I picked up what you were putting down a little okay. bit. Good. And yeah, I, I think that I'm curious as to, because I have a lot of people who will come to me and say, Hey, I, but I don't feel like it. And do I just force myself to have sex all the time? Is that what mm. exposure looks like and again of course black and white brains uh loved we love to put it into this either or category i'm curious and and i'm happy to speak to this as well but i'm curious as to how you navigate that yeah i think that one's actually trickier because we want to talk about trauma too Mm -hmm. um if we're looking at percentages i don't know the exact percentage but you know if we're working with a female client you know it's it's actually I don't want to say it's common, but it's not it's, uncommon. It's not uncommon. I don't know the stats, yeah. but sometimes there is a little bit of trauma of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm not going to force them to do a trauma exposure if it's going to trigger, like we're not working on trauma at the moment, right? So mm-hmm. part of that is this dance with the client you are with of what do you feel comfortable with? Like if OCD weren't around, what do you, what do you want? 
in this relationship? How do you want it to look? And what feels safe for you? And then we make steps towards that. Yeah. Because some people will avoid having sex for many, many months or even years because they don't want to feel that uncomfortable feeling of I'm not into it. So that right. means, I mean, that can happen with other OCD topics. Like I don't want to have a pedophilia thought while having sex with my partner. Yes. So they're avoiding sex. So sex across the board, but in terms of the relationship stuff, yeah. I No, I think you've, you've done a beautiful job of explaining the nuance there. I think the trauma piece is really, really important. And yet I think, again, back to the education piece that you were talking about at the beginning and, and informing about how, like, what it is to be in relationship, also understanding that one is not always going to be in the mood, right? Right. <laughs> you you pointed out, like, there are two people in a relationship and it's a matter of, like, gauging, well, for me in this moment, and best guess, I'm not suggesting we go down a rabbit hole here, but, you know, sort of like momentarily considering, is this about uh, just a lack of excitement or is this about, you know, like, I really don't want to right now. And that would be a violation for me, whether or not you've actually experienced trauma. And I do think it comes up more often, um, with, people who have been raised and socialized as, as female, right? Because, Mm -hmm. because of the sort of power differential that exists and the, uh, the cultural discussion around like, well, all men want is sex and like all, all of that. And you have to please your, your husband. Exactly. So I think it is really, it's complex, but I think taking a moment to go, okay, what's my best guess? Is this, you know, is I'm, I'm, am I avoiding this because, it would be uncomfortable or I'm worried that if I'm not 100% on board, then I'm denying myself somehow right. or, you know, am I, am yeah, is this OCD? What am I avoiding? Yes, exactly. OCD? Exactly. Versus right now that, that genuinely would be a violation of me, like me mm-hmm. taking care of myself because I'm not, I'm not in a position where that would be safe for me. Right. Or I'm just tired or I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's there's lots of different considerations. And that's why I think it's pretty specific to the person and the conversation we're having. But yep. I'm so glad you brought it up because it is a really big one. It's like, no, it's not that black and white. We're not going to say, oh, we're going to send you home with sex exposures. We may. Yeah. Yeah. But it's- a lot of it too is like uh, in if we go further with that, the response prevention piece is so important in the context of sex too. And so we, we're not going to say to your point, like, oh, well you you should go home and you should have sex this many times, right? Like, or or you should always have sex with your partner or you, you know, like where you should never, none of that's going to happen. But when we, we are suggesting that maybe you take that on in moments where you might otherwise avoid that. There's also the component of, I I like to um, talk about even approaching sex through a mindfulness lens and almost treating sex like meditation, 
because mm-hmm. there's so many invitations to trying to figure out, am I interested in this right now? What about now? Uh, oh, I'm not interested in this. What does this mean? And then you end up compulsing through the whole experience. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, a factor to take into consideration as well. Yeah. And for sure. And I think too, I've heard this come up of like that sex during sex, it should be this like profound, deep experience. And that's Mm. just not how sex operates. No, sometimes Um, it is. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. But we can't have the expectation that it's all or nothing, right? Just because we have, because it's going to give us an invitation to then ruminate for sure. If we're having an expectation of anything of like, this is how it should be. And when it's somehow yeah. short of that, then we're like, oh, whew, yeah, this that's is wrong. Literally a reason mm-hmm. to not be with this person. Obviously. Yeah. I know that's, I love that you bring it up. The fact that it's, it's like, it's not profound enough or it's not hot enough or it's not right, 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 exciting right. enough or it's not, or I'm not like having, I'm not climaxing sometimes. And that means it's whatever, whatever thing that we have an expectation around bringing that into the experience and, and then letting, cause it's hard not to have expectations, but at least having an awareness of the fact that you have the expectation going in allows you to be more thoughtful in how you respond when you realize that there's a divergence between what you're expecting and what the experience is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then maybe, you know, shifting into exposures that are not as like, what if I'm in the right relationship, but Mm. maybe of, um, I don't like this one aspect of the way they look, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't like the way their outfits are. So then the person's controlling how and what they wear and when they wear it. And, um, obviously we can see how impactful that can be on the health of a relationship too. It's like, that's not going to go well. So the exposure would be allowing them to choose whatever Mm. they want to choose. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the response prevention piece. That's not the actual active exposure, but. Right. Right. That's, that's fair, but you could even add like an active exposure piece to that. So for instance, if your concern is that other people are going to judge your partner and therefore you, then you might acknowledge when you realize that your partner is wearing something that you don't like, like, Hey, it's, it's possible that people are going to negatively judge me based on what my partner is wearing. Right. Or maybe you're like around the house and you're like, Oh, they are, I'm having that strong reaction where I don't feel attracted to them because they're wearing this or their hair is this way. Hey, let's go to Starbucks together. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we could turn it into is like as long as we're willing, even if they say no, it's yes. that willingness we're looking for of like, I'm gonna lean into this in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. Totally. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? We have a few minutes. I'm trying to think. Um Yeah. I'm trying to think of whether in terms of like more active exposures in the other realm, oftentimes we do things like have people watch romantic comedies or hang out with couples that, that you uh, sort of admire or think have a perfect relationship. Sometimes 
it can just be down to scrolling on Instagram because there are going to be images of people come up that are like, oh, wow, see, they have a perfect relationship. So uh, sort of anything that's going to invite you to get into the comparison mode or, or to want to resolve that uncertainty would be, you know, a good exposure, video blogs, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And to remember when we're assigning, say like watching a rom-com, it's the practice of learning how to not engage in compulsions, right? That's what we're doing there. So it's not a free for all, like you don't just like say, oh, I'm going to watch this because it'll trigger me. It's like, yeah, we know that. It's actually the most important part is that we're practicing when we get triggered, we're not compulsing. Yes, absolutely. Most important part. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. They all are, you know, all all of these dang subtypes are so they, they have their, their own challenges that come with them. And one last thing I would like to nod to is that because as you've, you've said it before, like it's a table topic, right? Like Mm -hmm. that people tend to discuss their relationships and to pick them apart. Like it's sort of culturally normative for us Mm -hmm. to do this. And so, um, knowing that it's going to be easier with your friends or your family members potentially to get caught up in like some sort of co-rumination with them about whether or not you're in the right relationship um, is I think is really important because that's going to make you thoughtful going into those conversations and saying like, yeah, I don't know whether or not it's the right relationship or, you know, like, and also being thoughtful about who can hang for those kinds of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just add one more thing as well, though, really quickly, um, is sometimes people will avoid doing things like getting married, moving in together. So it would be just jumping into whatever we're avoiding, everybody. Yeah. Not letting OCD make the decision for us. Yeah. If you're in that back and forth and back and forth for a long time, at some point, it's down to making a choice. It is. The choice is the exposure. Amen. Okay. Well, next we wrap it up? yeah, and then next time we'll be on to a different a different subtype. Okay. Stay um, tuned. Stay tuned. And if you want to reach out to Lauren, um, she's at the Center for the Obsessive Mind. You can find her on Instagram at the Obsessive Mind. And then I'm Kelly. Obviously, as we all know, if you're listening, <laughs> you can find me at the OCD Therapist on Instagram. And she's also the director at the Center for OCD. And you can find her at her website, centerforocd.com. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining. See you soon. Thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended as a replacement for therapy. If you need further support, we encourage you to seek treatment with a registered professional who specializes in OCD. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to leave us any feedback by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. You can find past episodes on our website at purelyocd.com. Remember, this podcast is for you, so please let us know what you would like to hear. We want to make our message as helpful as it can be. We hope you will join us in the future as we continue our discussion on all things OCD. OCD.